all for Jesus. As we step into 2021, I want that kind of to be the ringing theme of my own heart, all for Jesus. Today we begin a new study in the book of Colossians. And as we think about Colossians 1.16, it says at the very end of that verse that all things were made through him and for him. That you were made through the working of Christ, that all things around us were made through the working of Christ, but we were not only made through him, but we were made for him. So our theme is all for Jesus. Last Sunday, we were driving home from celebrating Christmas with uh, Julie's parents in St. Clair. So we're coming back up Interstate 44. And as we're coming up Interstate 44, I was passing a truck. It was probably 1030 or so at night. I was passing a, a truck and he was enjoying his lane and, and scooching a little into mine as well. And so I got uh, to that point where I'm beginning to pass him. And then I hit the, the rumble strips. Are you familiar with the rumble strips? Ever hit one of those before? He was pushing me off of the road. And so the rumble strips were there as a warning that said, be careful, be careful. I don't know about you, but there have been a few times I've been distracted while driving. And while I'm distracted and driving, changing channels or trying to uh, do other things, uh, I, I sometimes I was, you know, memorize a verse or something like that. I I hit those rumble strips from time to time. It was because of my distraction. Years ago, I went fishing with a couple of my buddies, and uh, we were driving home. And those two guys, I mean, we had gotten up early, and we had fished all day, and it was hot. And those two guys conked out in, in the truck, and I'm driving, and I'm getting drowsy, and all of a sudden, you hit the rumble strips, and, and you're, you're awake. The book of Colossians is going to kind of set the standard as rumble strips for us. They're going to say, look, you need to stay right in the middle of your aisle, aiming toward Jesus, living all for Jesus. There are people who will seek to distract you to say, hey, it's Jesus, plus you have to do this. Or you have to add this, or this ritual, or this philosophy needs to be added to Jesus. He's not, he's not sufficient on his own. There are other times we just get distracted, and we're moving through life, and life's busy, and, and cruising along, and we find ourselves distracted. And so Colossians says, wake up, look, you need to live for Jesus. And then there are other times we just get fatigued, and we're ready to quit the race. We're slowing down and we're dozing off. And the book of Colossians is saying, look, it is all, all of our life is about Jesus. We need to be living. All things were made through him and for him. So we need to stay in our lane, living all for Jesus. Now, I don't know where you are today. But I would imagine across a, a, a group like we are this morning, especially on the first day of the year, because uh, some of you, you know, you, you've, you've kind of just through the holidays or maybe through the last year, you've just gotten discouraged and weary and you've gotten disappointed and frustrated and you've just kind of quit running that race. And today, let the rumble strip wake you up and say, Jesus hasn't changed He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Follow him. Stay in your lane. 
keep moving forward. Others of you maybe have never met Jesus before. You don't even know what what we're talking about. Meeting Jesus, what does that fully mean? We're going to talk about that as we think about living all for Jesus. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to kind of do an introductory today of the book of Colossians, and then we'll jump in and, and really start digging in next week as, as we jump through this book together. And it's going to take us a while. But in Colossians chapter 1, picking up in verse number 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. I don't know if those words were emanating in your life in 2020, but God wants those words to be real in your life as we move forward into 2021. With that, let's pray. God, speak to us today. And Lord, I pray that we would be people who are living all for Jesus, that we would stay in our lane, that we would stay focused, that we would live wholeheartedly for you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. The book of Colossians was written from prison. Paul wrote it. He describes himself as the author in verse number one. He wrote it from a Roman prison about 62 A.D., Just eight to ten years earlier, he had been in a place called Ephesus. And there in Ephesus, he began to preach the message of the gospel. And as he preached the message of the gospel, it was this, that finding eternal life and forgiveness is not wrapped up in following religious ritual, and it's not wrapped up in in doing good things, and it's not wrapped up in finding philosophy. But the message of the gospel centers around this that Jesus died on the cross for our sin and rose again, and we can experience forgiveness and eternal life through Christ alone. Well, there was a man that was there listening, most likely, we presume at this point. He's mentioned in verse number 7 of chapter 1. His name is Epaphras. He now takes that message of the gospel and moves about a 100 miles east, further into Asia, and there he begins to teach and to share with other people. Listen, I've heard something amazing, that following Jesus is, is not about what I can do and what I bring to the table, but it's about receiving this free gift of eternal life through what Jesus has done for us. And so he goes to three areas, the city of Colossae, the city of Hierapolis, and the city of Laodicea. We'll look at all those sometime down the road. He goes to those three cities and he begins to plant a church. He plants three churches in those three areas. And as he goes, he shares the message of Jesus with others. But as he is preaching in Colossae, there's some folks who have slipped in. Some who have tried to say, look, you know, staying, staying only with Jesus is just not enough. You need to have Jesus plus some, some Old Testament Jewish regulations. You need to have Jesus plus some more, some, some worship of angels or some mystical experiences. And so Paul, so, so at Epaphras, he, he gets concerned about these things. So he travels all the way to Rome. Now, I don't know if, if you would ever trace, this is over a, a, a 2000 mile trip by, uh, walking 
or it would be a long way and you would have to take ships, but it, he travels a very, very long way. And he goes and he sits down with Paul and he shares with Paul what's going on in the church. Paul, man, I'm, I've shared the message of Jesus and now uh, there's people that are, that are pushing us other, other ways. They're saying, you know, it's about Jewish regulations and rules and it's about mystical experiences and worship of angels. And Paul then writes the church at Colossae and says, I have a letter for you. I want to give you some guidance. Paul had never been to this church. He, he, he knew a few folks that were around, but, but he didn't know most of the people in this church, but he pens them a letter. Paul, along with Timothy, from a Roman prison, about 62 AD, pens this letter back to the church of Colossae and to Laodicea and Hierapolis, and there he lays out some guidance for them. He begins with the introduction. He says, hey, it's Paul and Timothy, and, and we're writing to the saints and the faithful brethren and grace and peace to you. But Paul really, as, as he shares this book, he begins to kind of focus on where churches should be. And I think as we kind of pull out today, I want us to think about where our church should be as we move into 2021 and where all churches should be spiritually and, and doctrinally as we move toward 2021. As we think about this message, he, he shares down in verse number five, he says, you know, you have hope which is laid up in heaven for you, uh, in heaven of, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. He uses that word gospel. And here's the foundation of a church. Churches must be built on the gospel. Churches must be built on the gospel. Now, the gospel in its narrowest form is this. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and people saw him and they gave testimony that he was alive. Jesus died for our sin and he rose again. But notice here in, in down in verse number five, he calls it the truth of the gospel. See, the gospel shines God's truth. The gospel goes out as a light in the darkness. The gospel goes out as truth in a world of deception. Now, there's something about light. Light exposes. Light shows us who we are and where we are. And the picture of the gospel is that the gospel shows us the bad news of our life that people often don't want to hear. And here's the truth of it. That every one of us have thought something, said something, or done something that has broken God's laws, and because of that, we are disqualified from a perfect heaven with a perfect God. We can never earn heaven on our own. We can never go to church enough to earn and, and, and deserve going to heaven. We can never do enough good works. Our good can never outweigh our bad. The gospel shows us and shines God's truth that you can't save yourself. When we look at our life, for you to come on the first day of the year and me to look at you in the face and say, you know what your problem is? You're a sinner. We all are. We've all broken God's laws. You say, buddy, I didn't come on the first day of the year to hear you call me a sinner. Well, light does shine the truth. But the bad news is just the beginning. See, you don't have to believe that. I was witnessing to my dentist years ago when I uh, lived away. 
Uh, and, and I was talking to him, and he said, you know, I, I've never sinned. I might have some slight aberrations in my life, but I've never done anything really wrong, to which I kind of chuckled with my mouth open. Ho, 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 you know. Why does the dentist always want to talk to you when your mouth is open? So anyway, but the picture is, is no, you don't have slight aberrations. There have been moments of absolute rebellion in things that you have said and things that you have thought and things that you have done that are against God. And his light shines on those. You don't have to believe that. You don't have to believe gravity either. I mean, you, you don't have to believe in gravity. That doesn't change that the truth of gravity is true and that the truth that we're all broken and we've all sinned is true. The gospel shines God's truth. But not only does the gospel shine God's truth and convict us, but the gospel shares God's grace. This is the hope of the gospel. The gospel uh, shares God's grace. It, it says in the next verse, in verse number 6, he said, uh, you also heard at the end of verse 6, and knew the grace of God in truth. The gospel shares this, grace. This is what grace is. Grace is getting something that you don't deserve and you can't earn, and you can't merit. It's God giving you forgiveness. Not because you're good. Not because you're deserving. Not because you merit it. Not because you did something good or you came to church on the first Sunday of 2021. Grace is God sending his son to die on the cross to take the penalty for your sin, to take your punishment. And now, offering you forgiveness and eternal life. Could you imagine if you would buy something very special? You'd saved up a long time and you bought something very special for someone for Christmas. And you gave them that gift. And you knew that it cost you. And somebody just flat rejected it. I don't want anything from you. Or what if they, you gave them a gift and then they said, oh man. That's so nice. And they pull out their wallet and they say, let me pay you for that. See, a gift can be rejected. And a gift can be received. But the moment that someone tries to pay for that gift, it's no longer a gift. You know, I told you before Christmas, my most dreaded Christmas commercial, you know, with the GMC trucks. Oh, I love it. You know, I hate that commercial. But could you imagine... If that girl would have pulled 50, 60, 70 grand, I don't know what those trucks cost. I know they're not cheap. Out of her pocket and said, instead of you giving me a gift, honey, I just want to pay for it myself. It wouldn't be a gift. What if she just said, well, look, I, I know that truck was $60,000. And what if I pay you 10000 for it? Guess what? She would have had a good deal, but it wasn't a gift. Because the moment we pay for something, it's no longer a gift. Salvation is a gift. It comes one way, through receiving it as a gift. Not with any strings attached, not with any uh, uh, aptitude on our part, not with any action on our part. It comes as a gift. Can I ask you today, have you received that gift? Sometimes people get gifts that they don't want. My father-in-law, last Sunday night, I, I thought this was absolutely hilarious. My sister-in-law uh, had a gift for him. 
This is called the knapsack. Or the, yeah, the knapsack. Have you seen this thing? The knapsack, okay? It, it's like a, a hat that you put on your head, but it's long, kind of made out of snuggy material, okay? And, and you just put it over your head, and uh, so it has a picture of a guy sitting on, on a park bench, and he's got this knapsack on, and it says, you know, you can just take a nap anywhere, okay? Now, it's really, it really kind of got funny until they came to church, and this one is a picture of a dude in worship with this thing over his head. And I think, what in the world? Well, you know, you, you read this, slip on your private oasis. You know, when you were young, you didn't rely on overpriced energy drinks, pills, or powders to perk up. It was a nap that rejuvenated you. Uh, so now you can have your nap back, and you put this on, and it's supposed to darken everything. Well, ultimately, I don't know if you've seen this box or not, but this is really just a prank box, okay? My sister-in-law had actually put coffee in it for my father-in-law. So anyway, but it is, it is a, it's, a, it's a prank. But when he opened it up, it was like... Oh, well, uh, yeah, take a nap anywhere, anytime. Uh, yeah, well, uh, thanks. And she finally had to say, Dad, it's a joke. It's a prank. <laughs> you know, when it comes to receiving gifts, not everybody's great at picking them out. But there's one gift that all of us need, and that's the gift of grace and the gift of forgiveness and the gift of salvation. And you can have that gift. The gospel shares God's grace. And then thirdly, the gospel brings spiritual growth. Notice what it says here in, in this passage. He, he tells us uh, in, in verse number uh, four and, and, and following, he, he begins to share. Uh, pick up with me in verse number five. How about that? The hope which is laid up for you in heaven of which you heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, it has also in all the world, and it's bringing forth fruit. The gospel brings spiritual growth. It's bringing forth fruit. Now, my dad grew up on a farm. I didn't. But I do know enough about farming to, do, to know this, that you have to plant something, yes, but before you plant it, you really need to till the ground up, get the ground ready. And then you plant it, and then you have to make sure it's watered and, and weeded. So there's this effort into it, but you trust God to bring the growth. In our life... As God brings forth fruit in our life, it doesn't mean that there's not any work or effort or energy put forth in our, in our part. So tomorrow, on January the 4th, you can go to the app store and go to Bible highlights and, and follow along with me as we start in Matthew chapter 1. And we go through all of the New Testament in, in Matthew 1, 1, all the way to Revelation 22 over the next 12 months. I want to encourage you. See, if we want to grow it, it's going to take some time and some energy. So I want to encourage you to put forth some time and some energy to grow in your spiritual life. It's not, it's, it, life doesn't end the moment that you pray and trust Jesus in your life and say, Lord, forgive me, come in, and, and now I receive your grace. That's when it begins. That's when the fun of life begins. So churches must be built on the gospel, and that gospel brings growth in our life. And I don't know about this last year, but through the challenges and through the difficulties, I pray that you had this opportunity to grow in your faith. And if you didn't grow and maybe got derailed, then today's the rumble strip day. Wake up. It's time to grow up. Churches must be built on the gospel. Secondly, churches, as we think about them, must be focused in prayer. 
Now, if we notice as Paul begins, he says in verse number three that he's praying for them. We give thanks to God the Father, uh, praying always for you. Churches must be focused in prayer. And, and we notice three different sets of folks praying. First off, we notice that Paul is praying for this church. In verse number three, he says, I'm always praying for you. And then down in verse number nine through 14, he begins to pray that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, that they would be, that they would walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, that they would be strengthened with all power and that they would be giving thanks. Paul specifically in verses nine through 14, prays for this church. Then not only did Paul pray for the church, but the church family prayed for the church. They prayed as well. Notice over in Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 2, he says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. He says, continue in prayer. The picture is, is that they were praying, but now he says, pray with more earnestness, with more devotion, with more vigilance. Pray, church family, pray, pray for your church. And then... He gives the picture that Epaphras, the pastor, prayed for this church. Notice with me in Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 12. He says that Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. The word laboring fervently is one one word that we get our word agony from. It's the word agonizomai. He's laboring fervently. He's wrestling for you in prayer. He's struggling. He's weeping and he's deeply devoted to this sense of prayer over your life. Be focused in prayer. We're going to talk more about that. But if you say, buddy, I don't really even know where to start and how do I pray for our church? Look at Colossians 1, 9 through 14 and use that as your model and pray, God, would you move at First Baptist Church of St. Charles, that we would be filled with the knowledge of your will with spiritual understanding and wisdom, that we may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him in every good work, bearing fruit. Listen, that's the picture. We pray, that's, that's, that's a great guide for you to pray. So, so churches have to be built on this gospel. It's not the gospel plus, it's not Jesus plus, it's Jesus alone. Then we're focused in prayer because we know that the slender nerve of prayer reaches the unlimited power and resources of God and invites him to move. And then as we think about churches, we think about our life, Notice he writes to the saints, verse number two, and faithful brethren. Churches must be living for Jesus. When I say churches, I'm not talking about, again, buildings. I'm talking about us as people living for Jesus. He calls them faithful brethren, that they were faithful, that they were following God and doing what God desired for them to do. Churches, as church members, we must be living for Jesus. Now, Paul takes his book, and, and in the first 14 verses of chapter 1, Paul really shares a personal word. He shares with them uh, uh, the prayer, and he shares with them a personal word. This is what I've heard about you. And then in chapter 1, verse number 15, all the way through the end of chapter 2, Paul has this doctrinal statement. He shares about who Jesus is. And he tells them that they need to beware of philosophies and vain deceit and that they need to focus and they stay in their lane. Don't go off on the the rumble strips. 
And then in chapter 3, after this personal section and doctrinal section, then Paul begins this applicational section. This section of application that he calls the church to live differently because of what they know. So that for us today, it would be that we would look at this book and we would say, yeah, he he shared a personal word and a personal prayer for them, and then he shared some doctrinal truth with them. But the doctrinal truth is not where it ended. The doctrinal truth led to application so that it is not just good enough for us to come in and listen to Scripture and soak in God's Word. We're called to live it. If then you've been raised with Christ Jesus, to set your mind on the things above. He tells us to set our mind and our heart on things that are above. So our life is to live, to be lived differently. First off, we're to live purposefully. Notice with me in Colossians chapter 3 and pick up in verse number 17. He says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Then notice down in verse 23, and whatever you do, do it all heartily as to the Lord. So he says that we're to live with a sense of purpose, that whatever we do, we're to do for the Lord, and we're to do it heartily, not as to men, but as to him. So that as I'm walking through my life, if it's all for Jesus, that means that I go to work and I go to school and I'm at my house, that I'm doing it all for him. I'm working and loving and living for Jesus while I'm at work, while I'm at school, while I'm in my neighborhood, while I'm at church, and I'm doing everything that I do heartily for him. That gives me a sense of purpose. I'm living for something beyond me. Life is more. Life is more than raising your kids and getting them out of the house and then enjoying grandkids. Life is more than just eking through the bills and going to work day after day, week after week, so that that you can retire with dignity. Life is more than than just kicking back on, on a beach and saying, man, it's vacation time, or living for the weekends. The picture is, is that everything that I do in my life is to be all for Jesus, all for him. I'm to do it heartily, all for him, all for Jesus. That's the picture. So that my life and my calling is far, far greater than just living a few years here on the earth and then dying. I live purposefully. But as you notice the book of Colossians, and I, I find this interesting, that we're also to live gratefully. And we'll look more at this on another time. But if you look in Colossians chapter 2, in, in verse number 6 and 7, he says, you know, you've received Christ Jesus, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you've been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. In verse 17, the verse we read, just read, whatever you do, do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. That's that picture. You go up just a couple of verses from that. Let the peace of God, verse 15, Rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. You know who are the most miserable people in the whole wide world? The ungrateful people. Nothing's ever enough. They're never content. They're always restless. They're always struggling for that next thing that's going to promise them the mirage of contentment and they never find it. Maybe today... We say, 2021, I don't know what you're going to throw at me, but I know God's faithful and I can live and be grateful. 
through the challenges, through the struggles. You're going to walk through circumstances in some deep water that, that is not going to be enjoyable. But through it all, you can be grateful because God will not change. His faithfulness is new every day. We live purposefully and gratefully, and then we live missionally. Notice in Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 with me. As, as we see Paul lay this out to, to the church at Colossae, he, he gives them the picture, verse 5, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. He says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer each one. What's Paul saying? If you live for Jesus and you live a grateful life, people are going to say, how can you have a good attitude when life's so hard, when work's so hard, when finances are so tough, when your kid is sick, when you're going through a time of grief? He says, walk in wisdom, walk with fear of the Lord and respect to him. And when they ask, let your speech be with grace and seasoned with salt. The truth of my life is Jesus changed me. It wasn't religious tradition. It wasn't mystical worship. It was the gospel. Jesus changed me. And because of that, I want to be on mission for the opportunities that are around. Just a couple days, I'll... I'll talk to my mom today. I always talk to her on Sunday, but in four days, I'll call her. I've called her for the last 24 years on this day. January 7th, 1996, 25 years this year, my brother Lee stepped into eternity. Christmas of 1995, 25 years ago, I woke up in a hotel just outside of the University Hospital in Madison, Wisconsin. And my parents and I took the shuttle over to the hospital, and we had turkey for lunch that day, and they tried to make it an inviting day for us and uh, at least have a little bit of warmth and celebration. And at the time, we knew my brother was, was going to die. He was not going to make it. And we ended up leaving uh, later that evening, and then on January the 7th, it was a Sunday morning. Julie and I were at church, and we got the call when we got home that my brother had stepped into eternity. Yesterday, I, I looked back to a photo. Uh, I was talking to Julie about it last night. When I was at the Missouri Baptist Convention a few years ago, uh, I was on a committee that I stood in front of the convention. I was on the resolutions committee, and as I stood in front of them, someone caught me afterwards and said, hey, your last name, are you Lee Perstrope's brother? And I said, yeah, that's my brother. He said, I want to show you this. And he opened up his Bible, and they both graduated from the University of Missouri at Rolla together. And my brother had given him a Bible as a gift. And he had his signature in there, you know, to his friend, from Lee Perstrope, and he put the date when they graduated from college together. And I thought... You know, when it all comes down to it, who we shared the word of God with, 
and who we had those spiritual conversations with is all that's going to matter when we get to heaven. That's all that's going to matter. All the people that we let our speech be seasoned with salt and with grace, that we planted seeds or maybe we watered seeds or maybe we had the tough job of just tilling up some ground. But the only thing that's going to matter when we get to heaven is that I live on mission for Jesus. You're going to leave your money. You're going to leave your stuff. And if you don't get rid of any of it before you go, your kids are going to be very disappointed and say, oh, why didn't they ever clean any of this stuff out? It will go to Goodwill, Salvation Army, be in a yard sale. See, your stuff, it might be valuable to you, but it's probably as the generations go down. Yeah, garage sale fodder. Let's face the truth, okay? But the people that you touched for Jesus are going to be what matters. The offerings that you gave so people could be touched for Jesus. The times that you volunteered in nursery or preschool so someone could hear the message of Jesus. The times that you volunteered at Connect or you worked at a student activity so that people could hear the message about Jesus. That's all that's going to matter. One of my fun things I do, and I'll wrap up with this, one of the fun things that, that I find... It's not fun, it's sobering, but it's, it's energizing in part at times, is that uh, when I'm at my in-law's house, they have a little cemetery down the road, and I'll walk through it, and I'll read, see what it says about different people. I've never read one that said, man, this guy was a first-class engineer. This guy made a lot of money. But I have read those that said, faithful, believer, beloved son, beloved daughter. Because missionally is about living relationally. So I want to challenge you as you move into this year to allow your relationships, to, allow, to, to bring you to a point where you try to live missionally right where you are. With that, let's pray. God, thank you for your word, and thank you for the truth in it. Speak to us, move in us, and God, may we be people that live with a sense of purpose and gratitude and live on mission for you. In the awesome and wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.